Here's a very practical gynecological question. Just what is known about the association of COVID-19 with hypercoagulation and how does this affect the use of estrogen-containing medications, chiefly oral birth control and hormone replacement therapy? Well, the college last answered this question on May 12, 2020, in the FAQ section on the website for ACOG. However, as we know, information moves real fast, and of course, it's moved past May 12. But let's review this May 12, 2020 answer from the college. Here's what the college said. There are reports of high rates of venous thromboembolism in patients with severe COVID-19. Those are patients that are hospitalized or in the intensive care unit. More data are needed on who is likely to develop this complication and how it can be managed in patients with COVID-19. Other risk factors may also be present in patients with COVID-19 who develop VTE, so it's not currently known if COVID-19 infection is an independent risk factor. Based on current data, OBGYN should continue to counsel patients and prescribe estrogen-containing medications, including hormone therapy and hormonal contraception, as indicated, based on the individual's desires, risk factors, and needs. The college also reminds the reader that although the risk of VTE is increased among people using estrogen-containing contraceptives compared with progestin-only or non-hormonal agents, the risk is still very low and much lower than the risk of VTE during pregnancy and the immediate postpartum period. So ACOG's answer, of course, is quite valid. Remember, obviously, unplanned or undesired pregnancy is a huge factor, especially because unplanned pregnancy and COVID-19 tends to have increased morbidity. So the college says continue taking birth control pills because as of right now, well, we just don't have a lot of data. But this has some people feeling, well, uncomfortable because of the known thrombophilic properties and clinical course of COVID-19. Now, before we get into the rest of the data, let's clear out some things that we just don't know. We don't know if the thrombophilic property has to do with just being SARS-CoV-2 positive or mild disease or severe disease. It seems to affect those with moderate to severe disease presentation only. But again, we just don't know and we don't know who's going to be converting from just mild illness to moderate or severe. And we don't know if somebody who is found to be an asymptomatic carrier of COVID-19 will stay asymptomatic or progress to severe disease. So if you have a young girl who's on oral contraceptives, again, obviously with estrogen, and test positive for SARS-CoV-2, what do you do? Are you going to leave her on her oral contraceptives? Well, first of all, we don't have a good answer for that. I personally wouldn't, but I have to balance that risk between the risk of VTE, again, very low, and the risk of pregnancy, and that's an individual shared decision-making process. But now let's enter into the data as to why this is causing a lot of uncertainty and discomfort because leaving women on birth control pills, especially if they have moderate or severe illness, may not be the best thing. So let's get into that review next. The source material and reference for this podcast comes from an accepted manuscript just from July 29th, 2020 in the journal Endocrinology out of the Endocrine Society. The title is COVID-19 and Hypercoagulability, the Potential Impact on Management with Oral Contraceptives, Estrogen Therapy, and Pregnancy. The lead author is Daniel Spratt. This is Clinical Pearls. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. SARS-CoV-2 has proven unusual with respect to the spectrum of its pathological effects, in addition to damage inflicted on the lungs, kidney, heart, and other organ systems, reports have emerged of hypercoagulable states in patients hospitalized with COVID-19. Macro and microvascular thrombosis in venous and arterial beds, along with VTEs, occur with troublesome frequency. A recent study found increased platelet activation and aggregation in patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 with increased expression of platelet adhesion protein P-selectin along with altered gene expression in multiple pathways, which may underlie platelet hyperreactivity contributing to thromboinflammation in COVID-19 disease. Platelet fibrin microthrombi in the pulmonary and arterial vasculature have also been found on early autopsy studies. With the initial information regarding hypercoagulability, several groups have suggested routine coagulation prophylaxis with low molecular weight heparin or unfractionated heparin in patients upon hospitalization with COVID-19. Of course, there's other questions like if somebody presents with asymptomatic carriage, do they need prophylaxis? While this is usually a no, it's unknown if those on estrogen-containing products require this intervention or not. As more information emerges regarding the effects of SARS-CoV-2 on coagulation, questions arise as to whether infection with this virus aggravates the risk of VTE and stroke associated with combination oral contraceptives and other estrogen therapies as well as pregnancy-related risks. Combined oral contraceptive use is associated with a two- to six-fold increased risk of VTE. The risk for stroke is increased in young women from about four to about eight in 100,000 women per year. Now remember, even though this is a relative risk increase, the absolute number in the general population is still extremely low. Similar data exist for oral hormone replacement therapy in menopausal women and oral therapy for estrogen in male to female transgender patients. In pregnancy, the risk of VTE increases four to five-fold and maybe even higher in the postpartum period. The mechanisms for this increase in thrombogenesis and the duration of the effect after discontinuing therapy remain unclear. A common recommendation is to discontinue estrogen-containing preparations two weeks before planned activities that may increase thrombogenesis like surgery or long flights, although clear data are not yet available to support that recommendation. Here's some of the main questions that we just do not have evidence-based answers for and that make people uncomfortable with the use of continued estrogen use in this infected population. First, do effects of estrogen on the renin-angiotensin axis and SARS-CoV-2's interactions with ACE2 modulate or increase hypercoagulability? We just don't know. Also, with respect to SARS-CoV-2, do these markers of increased coagulability vary in those that test positive for SARS-CoV-2 but are asymptomatic compared to those that are symptomatic? 
Again, we just don't know. Do markers of coagulation differ in, for example, pregnant women and women receiving estrogen therapies who test positive for SARS-CoV-2? The answer, we just don't know. So, frustrated yet? Well, I am because we just don't have answers. I mean, it's nobody's fault. But the idea is we just don't know if this is safe or not. Now, here's the issue. Remember, all of this really started when some of the reports of placental histology in women who were infected with SARS-CoV-2 and or had COVID were being brought to publication. Now, first of all, one of the big limitations is that some papers don't really make the distinction between just SARS-CoV-2 positive status and COVID-19, which is the clinical manifestation of disease. So that's one of the flags. But nonetheless, what got people concerned is that some of the placentas in women that had SARS-CoV-2 and or COVID had found that there was microangiopathic changes in the placental site. Some of these vasculopathic changes included microthrombi, and this is what's gotten people concerned, that some of the placentas, yes, had demonstrable or recoverable RNA of SARS-CoV-2 at the placental tissue, but some placentas with those same angiopathic changes did not. And so that has people concerned if placentas that were not directly, quote, infected with the virus still exhibited microangiopathic changes by having SARS-CoV-2 in the patient, then is that the cause is that being augmented because of estrogen? And so if it's, that's the case, then women who are taking estrogen-containing products may be at risk. Well, is that true? Well, once again, we just don't know. Establishing models for basic research into mechanisms of hypercoagulability in COVID-19, let alone the intersection of the effects of COVID-19 and estrogen, has several hurdles and will require innovative novel animal and tissue models. Already, the inability of coronaviruses to bind to rodent ACE2 is being addressed by engineering mouse strains incorporating human ACE2 in order to try to answer some of these questions. Several issues complicate matters. COVID-19 has a variety of coagulation effects that appear to differ between individuals. Coagulation physiology in non-human animals differs also from humans, and so that's tough to check when you're using an animal model. Hypercoagulability with pregnancy and possible estrogen therapy does not naturally occur in other animals, so it's hard to replicate that in an animal model. Although we are still primarily at an observational stage with clinicians and clinical researchers learning more about the hypercoagulation manifestations of COVID-19, conversations between clinicians and basic researchers and between endocrinologists and hematologists needs to be nurtured to explore the potential interactions between SARS-CoV-2 and pregnancy or estrogen-containing therapy to guide clinical management. So, ACOG says keep giving estrogen-containing contraceptives and hormone therapy as part of, quote, shared decision-making, end quote, in patients with SARS-CoV-2. However, is that the best way to go? I don't know. There really isn't an answer. I know that it's arguable and it's debatable that a patient who has just asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 is much different than somebody with acute presentation of COVID. And that's a valid discussion. That's a valid debate. But the truth is we just don't know if that asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 positive patient is en route to develop severe disease or if she'll remain asymptomatic. 
So I don't have a good answer for that. So this is a great journal club issue and it's great for residents or fellows to discuss, both from OBGYN, anything in women's health care and infectious disease. We just don't know. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, remember I said that I would probably take patients off that, but that's just because I'm very conservative as a physician and I just like to stay out of trouble and avoid risk when I can. But I don't know. That's also may not be the best way to go. It's all about shared decision making. It's a tough question, and I'm sure we'll find more information as this question evolves and data emerges. I'm so thankful you guys are part of our podcast family. I have a passion for doing this, and I love doing it. So thanks for joining us on our journey. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.